0: Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be here with you. So if you're uh, here this morning, or if you're watching in Nickel Hall this morning, or if you're listening online or on a podcast, uh, we're so glad you could be with us. Today we're going to continue our series on Flourish. and. Um, Flourish has to do with an environment or even an ecosystem, like we'd be familiar with fish swimming around in its ecosystem. And when it's healthy, they can be healthy. And a good ecosystem, a good environment, provides a way for us to grow and be healthy in a vigorous way. And we believe that that is what God wants for us. So I've been thinking a lot about health these days, and even physical health, Um, most of you know I'm pretty active, but I wanted to take my physical well being to another level. And so, you know, I've always been uh, an active sports person, but really haven't paid that much attention to what I eat. And so, other than moderating my sweet intake from time to time, really haven't focused in on that hardly at all. So, I decided to do that in the last little while. And I did some. Um, <clears throat> Some research, looking into perspectives of how we eat. People would call that dieting. And uh, I decided to try to experiment, do something radical. So radical, people were talking about it behind my back (laughs) as to what was going on. Let me read you a text I received last week, if I can pull it up here. Text, and I quote, to me, Word on the street is you're going without meat for a time. I couldn't believe my ears. I had to hear it straight from you. Are you coming over to the other side? <laughs> well, that was a text from a friend of mine in Vancouver. Uh, call her Kay. And Kay uh, is a vegan. She eats plant-based, no dairy, no meat. I always thought it was a bit interesting how she was a server at the keg, where they, their specialty is steaks. Nevertheless, as I've discovered, thinking about diet and health, there are a lot of opinions out there as to what, what you should eat to be healthy. She had hers, I experimented. And in a parallel fashion, there's a lot of opinions as to what it takes for us to be spiritually healthy. And in conducting this series called Flourish, we are saying that God's word has a prescription for us, it has a diet to use food terms for us that if we if we engage in it if we follow it it's going to lead us to a place of health and vitality last week we went right to the beginning And we saw how at the beginning, God's design for us was to flourish in family. And so uh, at the beginning, we saw God created man. He created Adam. And Adam's in this personal relationship with God. That is the basis for all flourishing, a personal relationship with God. Adam is there in the garden, you know, perfect setting with God. And yet, God wants more for Adam. I mean, you would think, what, what more could there possibly be for him? But God existed in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he wants Adam to exist in community. And so God makes woman. From his side, he creates woman. And God's design for flourishing then was for male, female, man, woman, coming together in commitment, in unity with one another, and out of that, making family, not just to bless themselves, but ultimately to bless the world. And as as image reflectors of God, to, to multiply and to flourish so that God's image would be reflected throughout the world, and it would be good for the world. Flourishing, personal, flourishing family. And we'd probably expect when we're talking about flourishing that that is something that we would talk about. But this morning, I want to talk to you in the context of flourishing about the church. The church. That you were meant to flourish there. Not too long ago, I was looking at an artist. Rendition of the U District. Central Heights Church is located in the U District, and they have plans as to what is going to take place in this area over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And so this artist drew drawings of, you know, there's there's plant life and there's new walkways and there's new buildings and what this could look like. And interesting enough, where we are today, Central Heights, did not exist in the drawing. And it really spoke to me and, and sort of, yeah, that that hurts because to me it spoke that in in many people's mind the church is irrelevant, and even for those who do, do go to church, when, when when they think of church in their mind it can be dull, it's boring, it's predictable, and you know, but moderately necessary for some people. The way they look at church is that it's a like it's an add-on to their lives. And so they've, they've got this relationship with God, their family, and, and they add church to it. It's a slice of their life. And, and for some people, sometimes church can be even viewed as in competition with your life, in competition with your family. And you want to block it out at times because it's infringing on who you are in your life. But a place to, fur- to flourish? The church? I mean, even necessary to flourish? I think if we want to understand the importance of church, the ecclesia, and that is the Greek word for church, it's just the assembly of people. It could be used for a political gathering. When we use the church as Christians, we're, we're defining it as a, as a church of people that are gathered to Jesus. And if we want to see its importance, we need to trace it, how, how family moves from Old Testament into new with Jesus. Jesus. So we saw how it's important with Adam, and we see Abraham, we see that his family to flourish as he would direct his family in the way of God, this would also become the basis for the well-being of his nation and ultimately to bless the world. Family, nation, world. And so we see that, and then we get to Jesus, and he says words like this in Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his household. Matthew 12:48. Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? See, Jesus redefines the family. It's not that family is unimportant, but with the coming of Jesus, family will be defined by allegiance to him. So he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So the relationship of brothers and sisters, natural family, is now extended to the spiritual family called the church. That is our family too. And our natural family will only flourish, it will only experience what God has fully intended for it to its fullest potential as it participates fully in God's family, the extended family of the church. And this is good news because that, what that means is broken families and the single find themselves in a family under God as their father. It is this collection of people, the church, marked by allegiance to Jesus, called by his name, given a mission, organized leaders, that Jesus says, "I will build," and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So my premise this morning is that the church is larger than life, and is critical for our flourishing. That word, lar- or that phrase, "larger than life." It means simply this, exceedingly imposing, impressive, more exciting, more interesting, attracts a lot of attention. And you may not have thought of these descriptors as applying to the church. But I want to tell you this morning, we're going to look at it from, from a biblical point of view. The church is larger than life. It has a larger than life leader. It's in a larger than life battle. It's got a larger than life presence. It's got a larger-than-life purpose and a larger-than-life effect. And that's what we're going to look at from the book of Ephesians the rest of this morning. Let's begin out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And speaking of Jesus, it says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the, fil- the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's gift to the church, the head, the one who is the supreme rank, authority, is Jesus. God's gift to the church is the leadership of Jesus. Now, so often we think of Jesus and what he's done for us. We think of him as Savior, and rightly so. Jesus came. He gave his life. Because of him, we can have a right relationship with God. He took care of our sins. We have forgiveness in him. But that's not it. There's more. Jesus is the leader of his church. Now think about when you've, you've been called to be the leader of something, when you're fully invested that way. You, you own it. When you, when you lead something, you own it. You feel responsible for it. You want it to succeed. You want it, you want it to flourish. Think about when you've created something, you've, you've put something together. So you've spent hours making a meal or you've spent a weekend fixing your son's car or you've busted a weekend to to really do a great job on a a study for school. After that, you, you want it to be appreciated. You want it to be valued. Now think of Jesus and his relationship to the church. He's the one who gave his life for it. He's the one who leads it. Do you think the church matters to Jesus? He became a man to make it happen. He took the whip to make it happen. He suffered on a cross to make it happen. Jesus loves the church, and he gave his life for it. You know, it's easy to be critical of the church. I don't think you need a spiritual gift of discernment to see that the church doesn't always work the way that it should, whether you're thinking of the church universal or the local church that you're a part of. It's it, It's never perfect. And we can criticize it, but when you see it from Jesus' perspective and how he loves it, how he gave his life for it, if we're going to be critical of it, we need to do so with bleeding hearts, with bended knees, and our sleeves rolled up to make it better. Anything less than that is out of sync with the mindset of Jesus. He is fully invested for its success, and he can and he will lead it in the most beautiful way. You know, when you think of leadership and you think of the stories that we hear about leadership in our day, how often power is corrupted, and then we see the leadership of Jesus. And even in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about Jesus and his attitude towards the church, Paul used the parallel of a a man and his wife. And that Jesus loves the the church so much he gave himself for it and he washes her with the water of the word. He wants to sanctify her. He wants her to be beautiful. He gives himself over to her. That's the leadership of the church. Jesus is a leader who loves, who stoops, who serves. He's a caring leader. He's all wise. But Ephesians also reminds us that he is a leader who is all powerful and the one who has all authority because we also see that we are in a larger-than-life battle. As you're walking through life, you're experiencing things that are difficult, you know, uh, a battle with the bills, a battle with your finances, a battle with relationships, a coworker at work, or maybe even at home, those battles. But as all those things are going on that you can see with your natural eyes, we need to be reminded that there is a greater battle that's going on in the heavenly realm. There is a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Your battle is not just what you see with your eyes, it's beyond that. Cosmic powers, principalities, and powers. How are you going to win that? Who's your leader? Who's the one you're following? Who's, who's leading your team? The one who walked on water, Jesus. The one who commanded the Sea of Galilee to be still, one it was life-threatening, Jesus. The one who heals the blind, Jesus, that's your leader. The one who has the authority to forgive sins, Jesus, that's your leader. And if you didn't believe it, then he commands the paralytic to stand up and walk, that's your leader, Jesus. The one who conquered sin, death, and the grave, and Satan himself, that's your leader, Jesus. And in the words that we looked at in Ephesians 1 about God putting all things under his feet, just before that, it says this in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Paul prays that we would know this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The leader who has all authority and all power. We sing this song. He has no rival. That's your leader. You're on that team. And his power that raised him from the dead and placed him in that place of all authority, it says, is towards you. Towards you as an individual, towards us as a church. Let that sink in. And this leader, our Jesus, is among us. We have a larger than life presence. As you go on into Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, this is speaking of us, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When Paul writes this, he has the Gentiles in mind. They were a people who had no hope. They were separated from God. They were not part of the covenant that God had made with the people. They were outside of that. They were foreigners. They were strangers. They were aliens to God's promise. But God says to you, that's no longer true. See, if you were a Gentile in in the first century, you would have been so aware of this barrier, this division between you and God's people. There was a temple in Jerusalem, the one temple that Herod had built over the last decades. And it was was impressive. Massive white stones. The temple proper is about 60 feet high. The, The complete temple complex was about 25 to 35 acres. And the outer, outer area was called the court of the Gentiles. And anyone could be there, but an, unless you were a Jew, that's as close as you could get. And there's this wall of partition. And we have an inscription that, that was on those walls that we have in our possessions today. And it said this, let no man of another nation enter inside the barrier and the fence around the temple. And whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensues. That's a little more serious than a beware of dog sign. Death. You enter, you're going to be killed. Jesus destroyed this barrier. He destroyed it for the Gentile, but he also destroyed a barrier for the Jew. Because they could only come to God through temple ritual, through animal sacrifice, and now they come through to God through Jesus. And what Paul is telling us here, the temple is longer no longer a physical entity, it is a living relationship with God where his people together become the living temple, the very place where God meets with his people, the temple of God. That's what we are right now as we are meeting. We are meant to be the meeting place of God right here, right now, His church. And all across this city, there are expressions of that. And all over the world, there are expressions of that. The universal church meeting in localities where God's presence is manifest. It's made known and visible. And this church has a larger-than-life purpose. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 Before we read that, Paul talks about his calling, that although he was one of the greatest of sinners because he had persecuted the church, God intervened in his life and he gave him this calling to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and that this good news was for all people. So it doesn't matter what nationality you're from this morning. It doesn't matter what social strata you're from. The good news of Jesus Christ is offered to each and every person. And Paul was He was criticized, he was punished, he suffered physically for this message that he preached. But it was a miracle what God did. If you understood how much Jew and Gentile, how much animosity there was between them, but as they both experienced Jesus, they come together to be the church and they gather in worship to be the church and they serve and they love on one another. Now standing together as one family under God, This was jaw-dropping. This is a miracle. Paul says this is the power of the gospel. And so when we meet and, and you see different generations and they can sit in the same room and worship together, when you see different nationalities and they sit in the same room and they can worship together, when you can see those who were once enemies now worship together as friends, not only friends but family under God, This is the power of the gospel. This is the miracle of what God does. And Paul writes in verse nine, when he's he's talking about this, and he says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, as we meet, as we live out our lives together in community as the Church of Jesus Christ, it's not only the, the city of Abbotsford that watches and observe what's going on, but the very heavenly beings, the angels, the principalities, the powers, they watch and they marvel as to the power and the wisdom of God's gospel and how it works itself out in this larger-than-life church. John Stott wrote, It is as if a great drama is being enacted. His history is the theater, the world is the stage, and the church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written the play, and he directs and produces it. Act by act, scene by scene, the story continues to unfold, But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now, you may think the church is boring and irrelevant, but they don't. The heavenly realm doesn't. To them, it is impressive. It is attracting their attention. It is the larger-than-life church of Jesus Christ. The church has so much potential. It is the gathering of people from all walks of life, centers of influence, educators, politicians, business leaders, family. It's unlike any other organization in the world, led by Jesus Christ and infused with his presence. And it can and will have a larger than life effect. Pretty impressive, huh? When you look at the church from God's perspective, does it seem real to you, like from where you are and your experience? We know there's a bit of a gap, don't we? I think Paul knew that too. He was a realist. If you read some of his other letters to the church, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in some of the churches that weren't quite right. We've gone through the, the two letters to the Corinthians church and saw what a mess they were in. And yet Paul never lost this heavenly perspective of the church. And I think in Ephesians, Paul knows the potential that the church has, but also their capability to disrail it. And so right here in chapter three, after talking about this cosmic uh, display, this cosmic effect that the church has, he prays for them. He prays, starting in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He reminds the church that they are family. And what he prays for the church is they would be strengthened, individuals would be strengthened, that the church collectively would be strengthened in the inner man, and that they would know the love of God, that they would know their leader, that they would know that how much love the leader has for them in what he has done for them and what he will continue to do for them. That they will know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's an interesting phrase. I think Paul knows that out of that love, as they experience and they know that love, they are going to be loving to one another. And what God wants to do in that and through that church will then be possible, but it's still not up to us. Paul writes in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter three, now to him who is able to do far more, it's, it's not up to us. It's not about what we can do. It's about our leader. Now to him who is, about, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me close this morning by just talking about how we work out this larger than life experience of the church, where we are today, where you are, and what, wherever your home church is. Let me begin by saying this: How do we? How do we start? Know your leader. Know Jesus. Somebody asked me this week, "How can I help you?" We were talking about church, and was, I mean, the question just was amazing. Like, "How can I help you?" He said, and I said. The greatest thing that you can do for me as a pastor is to just be in love with Jesus, follow him, and let him transform your life. When I see that happening in people's lives, that's all that I need. I don't need anything more than that. The church is made up of individuals, and as we increasingly become those who lead by loving Jesus and knowing him as our leader and listening to what our leader says, We take on the the image of Christ. We begin to reflect him to the world. Know your leader. Live in his authority. Be courageous where he's calling you to be courageous. But then prioritize the church. It's both and. Have this vibrant, living, personal relationship with Jesus. But understand and know, as we've talked about this morning, that the church has to be part of that. Prioritize the church. Give of your time, your talent, your treasure. I'm sure you've heard of those phrases before. And maximize your local church experience. I don't know if you're a guest with us this morning, if you're listening online. You need to be part of a local church. You need to put your roots down in a local church where you can know and be known, where you can encourage and build one another up. You have gifts to give to a local church family, and they have gifts and encouragement to give to you. You need to put your roots down. Be faithful. Last week we talked about a book called Spiritual Parenting by Michelle Anthony. In there, she talks about the importance of faithfulness to a church for a family, particularly if your kids are going to a a public school where, you know, all day long their faith is not being built up in Jesus and. And even for us as adults in the workplace, your, your faith is often. it's not an environment that's building you up in your relationship with Jesus. And we need these spaces. we need these places where we can come, and take a breather and be in a safe place where we can hear God's word, be encouraged by one another, and then go out again. Michelle says, going to church once a, once a month is not just going to cut it. It is not enough. Be faithful. Take ownership for your church. Listen to what's going on. And most importantly, I would say, stay informed and be part of a community group. Meeting on a weekend like this is great. It's encouraging. It steers us together, directs us together as a large church family But each of us needs to be in a smaller setting. And we have three different sizes of groups at Central Heights Church. We've got threes and fours. We have small groups from about eight to 12 people. We have mid-sized communities, which go like from 20 to 30 people. There's all kinds of different sizes and shapes that meet in different ways and different times. And I would just say, find a way. Find a way to know and be known so that you can be built up and encouraged in your faith, and you can do the same with others. After the service this morning, there's some people right outside the door in the foyer there who would love to help you get connected if you're not currently connected and you want to do so here at Central Heights Church. A couple more things. Invest in prayer. So if the church isn't what you want it to be, one of the first things we should do is get on our knees and pray for it. You see Paul doing that with the church all the time, praying, praying for the Corinthian church, praying for the Ephesians church here on more than one occasion. He prays for revelation for them. He thanks God for them. Spend some time thanking God for the church, praying that God would reveal himself to the church and watch what he does. And then be gracious. Gracious as we talk about the spiritual view, the the biblical view of God's church, and then we look at the reality sometimes of how church life is and our relationships with one another. As we have received grace from God and mercy from God, so we need to be with one another, knowing that we're all on that journey to become more like our leader, Jesus Christ. When I consider all these things, I would say, be a builder. Be one who builds the church as Jesus is building his church, not a person who tears it down. At Central Heights Church, we have said that our vision, where we see God taking us, is to be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus Christ, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. This is what Jesus wants to do in his church and what a privilege it is to be part of it. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning, we're grateful that we can call you Father. We're grateful, Lord, that in one of the ways that you articulate the church to us is as a family, and that you are the Father to us, and that you have given us Jesus not only to be our savior, Lord, but to be our leader, to be our head. Lord, this morning we just wanna say, God, we wanna bring ourselves under your headship. We wanna bring ourselves under your authority. We wanna listen to what you have to say, Lord. We wanna esteem, we wanna value your church, your people, God, as you do. Help us, Lord, to be willing to be gracious and merciful and to even lay our lives down as you have for us. And we pray, Lord, that not just here in in Central Heights, but that throughout our city and throughout this nation, throughout our world, Lord, you would raise up your church to be that larger-than-life church that you died for. In Christ's name I pray, amen.